tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we'd do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. Well, the librarian was my dad. Yeah, alright, so... Thanks again for, for doing this. Is this going to be like a podcast or something? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a okay. Yeah. Well, you might have to do some editing. Then. Oh, no. Okay. I, I, yeah, that's totally fine. No, okay. We, we, do, we do editing. Okay. Um, I guess the first question is, how would you define zines and zine culture? How would I define it? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's all the classic ones that people try, like a zine is like a self-produced small press publication that generally speaking has less of a focus on the commercial side of publishing and more on just pure expression. Um, probably going to yeah, there for a second. I'm really sorry. So far it's good stuff. <laughs> Today, as I was carrying around a zine poster, I had three different people ask me what are zines. <laughs> so I got to tell them about it and um, I know at least one person came up to look at all of the all of the zines. So that's good. I've just been saying it's a handmade magazine, it's a handmade book. A very basic description. But it also seems like it's like a uh, it's a low-tech, easy way to put something into a book format to express yourself. So it's a accessible people who don't want to like find a publisher or even have it physically printed. So handmade, put your hands on it. Anything from staple pages to like take it to a print shop and do a run of like 50 side staple pages. A zine is, I would generally refer to it as a, an independently published magazine, also rooted in like the fanzine world as well. So somebody who is a fan or has a great interest in any sort of topic, so it could be anything like related to pop culture or sexual health or any, you know, sort of weird, quicky, kitschy sort of topic of... of you know, and, and it's limitless. Like, there's really nothing, there are no rules in some ways. <laughs> Welcome to the tallest building in town. We're back. Yeah, so... I had a realization last night. Right, okay. Before we were going to do Before this. we launched into this, Before, let's yeah. hear about your realization. You know, and it made me realize what my connection was to zines and why I like them so much and why I want to make them. Okay, wait. Can we start just real quick and say we're doing this show about zines? <laughs> yeah. So when Sean was in high school listening to the Smiths in the dark on the carpet, I was just cutting up magazines all the time and I was just spreading them. And I and also pieces of my life, like from my papers, teachers' comments on my papers, whatever I could find. And I would make collages all over my room and in any form I could. Do you still have those? 
I have pictures. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see them posted on our Facebook or oh God. internet page. And so that's what I did as a hobby. And I kept drawers and drawers and drawers in my bathroom, actually, full of uh, magazines and newspapers. And so later in life, I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and I started volunteering at Rainbow Bookstore Cooperative, which is like a radical independent bookstore that doesn't exist anymore. But I learned about zines. And I learned that collage art is actually a thing that adults do. Right. And I learned that you could make things that were personal and funny and interesting and things I wasn't seeing anywhere else through zines. And I realized that's partly why I love zines. I have this weird connection to childhood uh, with making art. Um, so my my exposure to zines probably was like in my high school ages as well. I grew up in a pretty religious home and we weren't allowed to listen to any secular music. So I listened to a lot of like Christian punk bands, but I started seeing all these things like cut and paste album covers and references to these like magazines that you could only get through the mail. And then they would come and it'd be like, you know, somebody would run it off on a copy machine, but it would have like music reviews and stuff. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And so that was like my exposure to zines was through the music. I love that mail order thing. I think that zines were around a bit in high school because I was going to these shows that were more of a a punk scene. And so I vaguely remember them being around. When I was a grown up (laughs) at my old library. So I was like, oh, we should get some of these weird little things for the library. And through that, I met these people in West Bend who were starting an info shop. An info shop's like a, a free resource library that is curated by people of the community, a place that you can get information you might not be able to get in other places. It can be a safe space right. for people to share information that is politically minded, personal stories, sexual health, all kinds of stuff. It's also like a community gathering right. space. Right, right. So I guess that's, that's the element that brings it together these days and um it becomes an archive but also a community resource and gathering space right yeah so that's what this was and it was a really awesome space the first zine that people sort of really consider to be a little magazine, which is actually what they called them, um, is a French literary journal called News from the Republic of Letters. But it was like the very first uh, literary journal that was created and edited and published by just one person, really. And he wrote, you know, reviews of uh, books and essays and things like that. That was in the 1600s. And then uh, from there, you had, you know, a bunch of literary journals and art journals in um, sort of the early modernist era, you know, like Gertrude Stein and T.S. Eliot and Marcel Duchamp and like people who were doing this art and writing that people didn't really get in the mainstream. Yeah. Um, were creating these little magazines, these mm-hmm. little books, and then they would sell them just to let people know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely in the like mid to late 1800s to like 1920s and 30s was like the heyday of the little magazine. But then that takes us to your era. Yeah. <laughs> the era that you lived through. Uh, I totally lived through this time. So a lot of people ran across zines because of sci-fi fan zines. So science fiction. People argue about when like the exact golden age of science fiction was, but many sources like to say the 1930s and 1940s. Hmm. But all the way through the 1950s, science fiction fanzines were circulating and continuing to be a huge hit within the zine scene. Yeah, and I think it's cool because like fandom is so massive online right now. It's a big part of what zines are, you know, and so what you were talking about before, it was like 
literature yeah. and art. Yeah. And that is the same thing that's carried through. But, you know, as technology, for example, has changed, <clears throat> the TV was invented, right. things like that, you know. So fandom has continued to work its way through. Well, and, and the changing definitions of high culture versus pop culture versus low culture and how people interact with ideas within those types of fandoms or systems. Right. Because I was thinking about like Star Trek, for example, mm -hmm. was a huge deal later on. That was sci-fi. Science fiction fanzines just happened to be something that we've collected a lot of and archived a lot of. And there's so much of. So... That's why people talk about it a lot, I think. Hmm. These zines could include fan fiction, letters, someone's favorite book covers, or just commentary on TV shows eventually. But, you know, through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, counterculture and civil rights movements deeply influenced zine culture. So this could include people writing personal accounts about stories and life experiences. They could be sharing information about conventions and meetups, things that were happening before the internet existed, you know, ways that could plan or organize or take action politically, uh, ways they could meet other people who share the same values or identities or lifestyles that they pursued. You know, there were zines related to the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement. Unfortunately, though, it's hard to find zine artifacts from that time who were made by people of color and specifically women. They definitely do exist and it's been harder to hold on to them, especially with some of the materials that people were using, you know, yeah. they kind of can just disintegrate. <laughs> right. And, and maybe this is a good time to say a lot of zines are made simply with uh, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper and staples. Exactly. Um, I mean, those, there's lots of different ways to bind them, but... And those rust over time. Yeah, staples fall apart and yeah. like old, old paper was, you know, just like gets yellow and starts disintegrating. And not everyone like valued or felt the need to keep this stuff around. They just literally wanted to share it with somebody and then have it go away. And before the internet existed, people weren't thinking, oh, this should go on the internet. I'm doing this big sweep of like the 50s, 60s, 70s, where, you know, this is also in the second wave of feminism happening in the early 60s and on. In the 70s and 80s, people like to examine punk culture. They focused on the DIY aesthetic, politics, and calls to action, and a lot of music, yeah. like you're talking about a little bit. By this time, copy shops are around, making it a lot easier for zines to be produced quickly and cheaply. So this could be a time when people ran into zines for the first time. Yeah. Perhaps at a great punk show in a basement. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to hit on the 90s and the surge of the riot girl scene, uh, which was like a response to the previously male-driven punk scene. And so it was heavily driven by women who had formed punk bands, but it really was just a shift in the ways women were communicating and reaching out to each other. And there's a lot of zines from this time talking about the patriarchy, sexuality, race, and just generally female empowerment. Hmm. And it was another way that people, specifically from this time women, uh, that used this medium, zines, as an inspiration to meet up, uh, organize with each other, to fight social norms and issues, and also just like empathize with each other. As the power shifted in that era... Like as, as far as who's control, who's controlling publishing, um, you know, you've got all these early examples of of artists and writers creating zines, and then it moves more towards the political because those are the people that were marginalized by the idea of, you know, breaking into the mainstream publishing. You know, people don't want to hear those voices; they don't want to hear those ideas because they're not going to sell. You know, like that's that's capitalism. You know, like hey, sorry, that might be a great idea, but no one's going to buy it. 
So I'm not going to print it. Oh yeah. Or so like make it yourself or social norms. So like not wanting to talk about sex or right. drugs or, um, maybe even religion. Yeah. Um, all sorts of taboos that right. are being spoken of being talked about in detail and in zines. I'm Chris Wilde. I'm one of the co-founders of the Queer Zine Archive Project, which is a website called qzap.org. And we primarily archive past and present queer zines, make the, digitize them and make them available on the internet for free, and also have a physical space where we keep the zines that are not online because we have probably one to 2,000 zines in the collection that, you know, it would be kind of impossible for us to scan. So we open those up for uh, visitors and researchers. It's not a public space, but we can invite people in because it's actually a residence and people can come and stay or can come and visit and really be at home in the archive. And we're probably, I think, the only community-based archive that's strictly focused on queer zines. There are other archives that do collect and promote queer zines as part of their general collection. Whereas we're we're actually queer zine makers and people that have been involved in making queer zines for at least like uh, for myself and Kuzab's uh, other co-founder, we've been making queer zines for over 25 years. People know us by reputation and will donate their zines to us as they create them. And then also we do a lot of outreach and uh, you know work with uh, like buying things from zine distros or I specifically like keep my eye out for uh, reprints so when people are doing like revivals of their zine or you know they, they found their old masters and they're making new copies from the old masters like I usually do some acquisition there so that we can kind of complete our collection or find things that are unique or significant in terms of queer zine history. Queer zines just didn't come from nowhere. There, there's a real it's rooted in history of like self-publishing and the democratization of media when we had the ability to reproduce and make photocopies for really cheap and also do it ourselves that's really when a lot of zine culture explodes and yeah. becomes very prominent people are surprised to find out that zines are still around i feel like it's flourishing in the past 10 or so years but. yeah i'd say the last 20 years for sure because we are trying to hold on to something that is community-based yeah and human-based creating and making and how good that can make you feel and how good it can feel to experience other people's works for me that human connection means a lot and and that's what really gets me excited we've been talking a lot about like what scenes are and how we enjoy them and what what how they get created as librarians what do we do with these pieces of self-expression and and culture information like they're books sort of you know and we do get magazines at libraries there aren't a whole lot of libraries that actually collect zines for a number of reasons it's interesting that it seems to be growing even though it's still small there's a zine librarian facebook group <laughs> yeah. that I've recently joined and they've got the Los Angeles Public Library has a pretty good size zine collection. Makes sense. And a lot yeah, of stuff started there. Right. And they're always putting up new stuff and like Spanish language zines and, you know, they're not necessarily historical. They're like 
stuff that people are making now, you know? And, and so I think that's important to acknowledge that there's people creating things and expressing themselves, uh, not at a national level, but at a local level. I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot, having the community be the heart of the library. We want to support the sharing of information and DIY traditions, which is why we have like free programs that we provide that are most of the time, in my case, skill sharing that has to do with zines and what people make input in zines. But it's true that preserving them and circulating them successfully is not easy. Yeah, be- just because of the fragile nature of commercial paper and, and staples, you know, like those things aren't going to last forever. That's so this exactly zine right. that we were looking at yesterday, which is called? Uh, it is the Zine Librarian's Code of Ethics. It was super helpful when we were trying to discuss and brainstorm and dream what it could be like to have a zine collection in our public library. So some of the things that um, that the Code of Ethics, the Zine Librarian Code of Ethics says, uh, zines are often produced by members of marginalized communities and looking to engage with and represent those communities. As librarians, we often have to depend on big publishers and specific distributors to fill up our collections. We only have a few here at Sun Prairie, for example, which is limiting for me when I try to add more queer content or just people of color um, into a collection. It will be from a press that is not big or it's not on Amazon. Um, And so I can't add it and I can't share it with the public. Um, And that's a barrier. Or it can be actually something on the other end of being super expensive from like a university press, maybe by someone really awesome who's done this research. But it's a voice that I would want to hear from or that I think people would also want to hear from that's missing from our collection. Right. This code of ethics is a lot, a lot of it's about sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the, the, like, how do you collect? Where do you get things from? How do you get permission to add these things to your collection? Because it's a public collection, you know, it's a lot of like ideas about acquisitions and things, uh, which is all like, we do have to deal with that. But I think more importantly, just the, like you were saying, the collection development philosophy of, you know, trying to get, um, different viewpoints and what are, what are the links that we're going to go to to get those viewpoints? Right. You know, do we do we re, do we reject something just because the city tells us we can't use our credit card to buy from that particular distributor? Exactly. Uh, or because something hasn't been reviewed in three specific publications? Exactly. You know, which happens in li- the library world a lot. Where well, we're talking about all this, like, are we going to have zines in our library? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. Or is that <laughs> should we not talk about that? <laughs> Oh, I think we probably shouldn't. I mean, to me, it's not it's not even really like a question. Like, yes, we do. We, we collect all these other things. Why not? I mean, it's a it's a it's information and expression that somebody created. Therefore, especially if it's local, we should have we should be able to give people access to that material. And to, to say that we're not going to do that, then, you know, we're just like putting publication and a hierarchy and saying only these this top tier of things are are for you and everything else we're going to basically pretend it doesn't even exist and not only do you not get access to it but we don't even acknowledge that it's around and that's not what libraries are for right i think with the right librarians you could definitely have a zine collection in your library yeah absolutely. you would just have to educate folks on the legitimacy of them and why they're so important would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, Christina Gomez. I'm the Events and Programming Librarian for Milwaukee Public Library. And how are you involved with the Milwaukee Zine Fest? I am one of the organizers for the Zine Fest in 2018. So I represent the library um, and coordinate planning, 
uh, and logistics for the Zine Fest. What is it like planning a Zine Fest <laughs> for a it's, library? Um, it's interesting. I personally have not done it before, even though the library has hosted it in the past. Um, so it's a lot of thinking about um, not just logistics, like where will everyone go in the space? Because there are a lot of vendors, but how do we promote this outside of a, the traditional community? Because we want it to be open to the general public and people who are just in the library for a story time or to grab a book to kind of encourage them to come up and and see you know, what's going on and what zines are and how they can get more involved. What is your favorite thing about Zine Fest? Um, I like meeting everyone. I like seeing zines I had no idea existed. Like there's one whole table that has like, pro wrestling related zines that I'm I know that so guy. into. I know. So I've been texting my friend like, what do you want? I'm getting this. Can I get you this? So we're kind of coordinating like a bulk purchase. <laughs> So we have it on our social media accounts. We have flyers at all of our locations, posters. It's on our website and our web calendar and in our newsletter. So really highlighting um, our partners like QZAP and the Book Bindery in Baby Milwaukee. And then also just like, hey, this is for everyone of all ages. Yeah, I was wondering like what you think it might do for the library. What does the Zine Fest do for the library? Well, it brought people into our building who I know have never been here before because I've talked to a couple, so that's always good. Um, there are people getting library cards, which makes my heart happy. <laughs> um, and we also just want people to really know that we're a welcoming place, a safe space for everyone, and I think a lot of the people tabling here, um, you know, they represent that through what they're creating, and um, we want that to kind of echo throughout the building. So That's so great. <laughs> Those are all things that I wondered but didn't know if it was true. Yes, true. True things. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd want to say about Zine Fest in Milwaukee? Milwaukee Zine Fest. Milwaukee Zine Fest. Um, it's okay if you don't. It's awesome, and everyone should come every year. Always. Yeah, and we're going to work on finding a bigger space. Really? <laughs> so we can fit more people, yes. Oh, my God. I wanted to speak with somebody who works in a library and actually has zines inside. Catherine is a friend of mine that I am an organizer with for an organization called LGBT Books to Prisoners based in Madison. That's why I wanted to speak with Catherine um, and ask them some questions about keeping zines around and what that's like. My name is Catherine. I work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm currently in the LGBT Campus Center. We have a small academic library branch in that library. I'm also I'm in the second or third year of being on the committee for the LGBTQ Archive Project, which is hosted at UW Archives. Why do you think that librarians and libraries should support zine culture? Oh, for so many reasons. Librarians and libraries should support zines and zine culture because it's it's media, right? It's it's print media, it's independent media, like, especially when we're talking about public libraries, I think there's so much community engagement that public libraries are trying to do now. Um, I feel like, especially in the current political climate, there's a lot of efforts being made in, in public services around literacy and activism and access to resources and media and all those pieces. And so I think it's all part of the same project of letting people who don't have access to larger systems of publishing still get their voices, not just published as it were, but also archived because history is important. And, you know, right now we're in um, the bad, can I say where we are? 
Yeah. So right now, we're in the back room, like a storage room um, under the Social Justice Center um, on Willie Street in Madison, and it's we're, we're actually surrounded by boxes that are a literal archive. One entire side of the room is from the Rainbow Bookstore Cooperative that closed about a year and a half ago, and these are just boxes of papers that are... I mean, they're here in order to tell this story and the history of that cooperative space. Can you talk about, so do you have zines in your library? We have, we have a lot of zines. We have a read and return policy on those, so we don't actually process them as items in, like, so typically when we're doing collection development and we buy a book, we'll put it in the system, I'll catalog it, it'll be part of universal borrowing, right, across the state and other campuses that are partners. We don't do that for the zines for a couple of reasons. One, because that's just, like, part of a system that people don't trust, right? So, like, if somebody writes a zine about queerness... And then I put it in the system under their name and with the topics, as you would with any piece of media, it's going to be there forever, right? They don't know who's accessed that information. They don't know who's going to see it. It's also cool to not have to um, penalize people for not bringing things back, right? So if I have it in the system and then someone has to check it out, not only is that media item now associated with their personal account, they don't know who has access to that either, then if, they're, if they don't bring it back, then I have to find them, right, and bar access to the library. So all these pieces that, again, don't really go with the politic of zine making. So we do have a bunch in the library. They are both made by folks in the space and also have been purchased or, or collected from other writers and activists in the area. What about other libraries you mentioned that do collect and hold zines? What can you tell me anything about that? There are many academic and public libraries that do have zine collections specifically. There actually is one at UW Madison in the School of Library and Information Studies or SLIS collection at the SLIS Library. So there's still um, I think there's active production. I think it really connects students really connect with it because um, there aren't a lot of rules and you can do what you want. Right. Um, and doesn't have to be perfect, and it, it actually is better if it isn't, right? Seeing as perfection is a tool of the system and a tool of white supremacy that is not of interest to folks mostly engaged in zine culture. So that's right. an example, I think, of, of something cool that's related to those libraries. Aside from, like, QZAP, what, for example, who's even digitizing zines? It's like a whole other level where libraries might be trying to collect them, also trying to figure out who is, but then making them more public if possible, you know, because of all these barriers. Uh, yeah, I thought of QZAP too, so um, I think we're on the same page. I think stuff that counts as zines or comics or journals or scrapbooks, you know, pins and t-shirts and all this stuff from, from folks in Dane County over the past, you know, 70 years, really. And then the question is what gets digitized and what doesn't. And I think with zine stuff, especially for like current producers, once it's digitized, then you can't sell it. And I know that's not everyone's goal, of course, like that's actually wasn't the goal to begin with, but we just had the print and resist zine fest. And I mean, it's important to value that labor and like honor it as media that really counts. And so I think that gets complicated too. How did you end up getting zines in your library? Well, I have a lot of them, and I brought them to work. <laughs> and I put them in a box, and I said, read and return. <laughs> There's like a sticker on the box, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it was also it was three years ago, maybe, um, for what we used to brand as Trans Visibility Month. We don't do um, Identity Months anymore for a lot of reasons. But recognizing that TGQ communities, Teapot communities, are some of 
the folks that would have more need for underground media production uh, rather than less, and that we wanted to elevate um, kind of living trans folks' voices and experiences. We had a zine, a zine making station that was out the whole month, and then we had a collaborative zine that we produced at the end. And so that's really when that started. And so we've just had a box of zines that we occasionally add to um, in the office since then, but it really was a community effort. What we want to do is we want to hear from you um, either, if you know, like, what's your experience with zines? And you, what you can win is a poster from the Milwaukee Zine Fest, a poster from the Madison Print and Resist Zine Fest, and... Some stuff, some mystery stuff. Yeah. going to be a prize box. Definitely. It's going to be really cool. Some notes from Steve and I. Yep. And we're going to send this thing through the mail. Uh, go to our Facebook page. <laughs> And like, comment, share. Uh, the tallest building in town. Yeah, and, and we can talk about it. And we're going to just, like, everybody who has liked it. Yeah, or if you've shared our content. The specific post that we're going to write about. Um, about zines. And then we will pull your name out of a hat and send you something in through the United States Postal Service. That would be wonderful. 